Right, so has anyone put up their Christmas tree? Yeah, a lot of Christmas trees up. Okay, good, good. I'm not, I'm not the Advent police or anything, you know. It's, it's great, great. So, if you do have up your Christmas tree up, is does it have a Christmas ornament or two in the form of an axe or a winnowing fork? You have a winnowing fork Christmas ornament? You know, winning forks are the, what they threw the grain up into the air and that's how they separated the wheat from the chaff. It kind of looks like a pitchfork. You don't have like a pitchfork ornament on anything like that? Well, based on today's reading from Luke, if we don't have one, we might consider getting one. Because if we've been reading the gospel according to Luke from the beginning, we might have been lulled into some form of quiet expectation of celebrating Christmas. For the Gospel of Luke opens with lovely stories of angels visiting John the Baptist's father Zechariah, uh, Jesus' mother Mary. There is the story of when Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. The child Elizabeth carries leaps in her womb when he hears Mary's voice. There is the story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, the shepherds visiting them after Jesus was born, and Mary pondering all sorts of good things in her heart. And so we tend to read these stories and the events leading up to Jesus' birth and the birth itself through the, some sort of gauzy Instagram filter, which softens the hard edges of those stories. Yeah. Zechariah, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, had been struck mute because he questioned uh, how his wife Elizabeth, at her advanced age, could bear a, a child. And Joseph and Mary had to wander around Bethlehem looking for a place to stay until they were given one in a stable. And then in the Gospel according to Matthew, King Herod ordered all the boys to and under in Jerusalem to be murdered to prevent a new king of the Jews from replacing him. So joy is certainly to be found in these, in these stories. And so are some of the more darker sides of human life. And then today, the grown-up John the Baptist shakes things up by calling the ancient people of Israel a brood of vipers or children of snakes and tells them to bear fruit worthy of repentance, that the axe is lying at the fruit of the tree, and he tells them that there is one more powerful than he is who is to come, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I find it ironic and funny that the passage ends by saying, so with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. <laughs> Axes and winnowing forks don't sound much like good news or part of the Christmas story, but it is Advent. It is the season of Advent. And Advent is, Advent is as described by the pastor and author Mandy Smith, a season of mixed emotions. For some reason, it's been hard for me to get into the Christmas spirit this year. You know, maybe it's the weather. Until today, it's been unseasonably warm. But whatever the reason, I think I feel the mixed emotions of the season. A few years ago, Pastor Mandy Smith wrote about the power of the season of Advent. Uh, Smith is not an Anglican. She is the lead pastor of University Christian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she said that it was only when her church started using the lectionary readings for Advent that she began to understand the power of the season of Advent. Before that, she said that she would often feel guilty that she didn't, that she didn't always feel happy. And she would ask herself, 
If Jesus has redeemed all things, why is my heart heavy? You may be wondering that as well. Why is my heart heavy at this time of year? And it's a good question. If Jesus has indeed, indeed redeemed all things, why aren't things better? Well, Mandy Smith said that what she learned from Advent is that Advent gives us permission to have hope and longing all at once, to celebrate what was once long awaited and then given, and what continues to be long awaited. You know, remember, during these, during these four weeks or so of Advent, we are looking forward to celebrating something that occurred in the past, the birth of uh, the Son of God, who in his life and ministry uh, made the kingdom of God present. And we are, during this season of Advent, looking forward to his return at some unspecified time in the future to complete that work of the kingdom. And this season gives us permission to have hope and longing. Our hope and longing are based on but has already been given in the birth of Jesus, and we long for him to come to one day complete that work. And Smith, Pastor Smith, says that this is an awkward place to be in. Sort of this in-between time is an awkward place to be in. Which makes me think of that it was that kind of place that the crowds asked John the Baptist, well, what then should we do? What then should we do in this in-between time of longing, of hope and longing? Well, Smith says, she says that, and this is kind of a long quote, but bear with me. She says that when we're able to exist in this space, we're able to be present with one another. We're able to stop in the middle of what is a good day for us to hear the broken heart of another and carry both our own joy and the pain of their story. We're able to see famine and war in the news and say, although I can't even imagine it, I grieve for their grief. We're able to hear the perspectives of others and say, although it is not my story, I can make room for your story. We're able to gather around a Christmas dinner table or communion table and say, your words make me angry and I love you. We learn to stop saying but, which only serves to cancel out one side of the truth. And we learn instead to find a way to say and, and, A-N-D. So instead of a no but dynamic, Advent teaches us a yes and dynamic, which is more life-giving and allows us to be, as Smith says, more present with one another. It allows us to make space within ourselves for perhaps two contradictory feelings of you know, missing those we love who aren't with us these days, but also being glad to be with those who are still with us. Yes and. Yes and we can acknowledge our own story, however contradictory it may be, and still be able to hear and respond to another person's story, even if it's different than ours. And I learned something like this a few years ago at a conference I went to at Camp Allen. The conference was on forming missional communities, and one of the things we did was to learn about improvisational or improv comedy, and actually had to do some improvisational scenes together, which is not really my, not really the thing I like to do, but um, <laughs> required to do it. Uh, one of the techniques we learned was uh, something called yes and, which is actually one of the pillars of improv work. So at the conference, we were given uh, you know, a scene or a prompt uh, with which to work, and the impro improvisation of the scene was extended and made better by affirming the work of those involved in the scene. And was, I can't remember what, exactly what the scenes are we did, but I was thinking of it yesterday. So a prompt might be like, you, you, you see a person walking down the street. That's the prompt. 
And so you're supposed to create an improv based on that prompt. And so one person might say, yesterday I was walking down the street and I saw a man walking a dog. And the other person says, yes, and that man was dressed as Santa Claus. And the other person says, yes, and his dog was dressed up as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, so it's that kind of thing that, yes, and. So it, that extends the scene that creates the energy, that makes the entertainment. So no but shuts down the scene. But by using yes, and, those participating in that improvisation were more present to one another in what was going on around us. And during this time of year when the days darken early and we celebrate Jesus' birth and look forward to his return, we don't do it as a form of nostalgia for escape, even though that may be a temptation. Uh, we celebrate Jesus' birth and look forward to his return so that we may more faithfully live to God here now in the present and be present with one another and what is going on around us. And so John the Baptist's appearance during Advent is always a wake-up call to live in the present and to embrace the ambiguity, the contradictory of how we might, contradictoriness, or however you might say that, of how we might feel. That we can acknowledge the sadness that we may experience at this time of year. And we could also acknowledge that, yes, I do feel joyful as well. And we can be present to ourselves. And we can be present to one another and make enough room for everyone. And so as we decorate our Christmas trees this year, we can say yes to angels and stars, and we can say yes and make room for a small axe or a winnowing fork to go alongside of them. You know, the Christian faith itself makes room for what seems to be contradictory symbols. Our faith involves a cross, an instrument of death, and it includes an empty tomb, a symbol of life. And so cross, empty tomb, death, life, yes, and. Amen.